please follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We just sang about that. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. They're not gone, 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 gone. You're still in them. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign. Until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. And when he says that everything has been put under him, it's clear he does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. 
Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our verse. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Christ is risen. That is incredibly important. You could tell from what I just read, right? It's incredibly important that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. How many different moments did he say, but if that's not true, then this. And it's not just important one day out of the year. 
last Sunday. Every single day this week, I posted on social media, good news, Jesus Christ is still alive today on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And you get the idea. We don't just celebrate the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we worship on Sundays. And it's why we worship every day of the week. Because Christ has risen. Last week we said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Verse 58 tells us how it changes everything. What all it changes in how we live. You see that first word in verse 58? What is it? Therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask yourself the question, what is it there for? What is it there for? It's there to signal that verse 58 is the punchline of the whole chapter. The so what of the whole thing. Here's how to live because he lives. Here's how to live because Jesus lives today. Now, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. If you ask me to sign one of my books, I write 1 Corinthians 15, 58 in the front of it. I love this verse. It's like a a life verse for me. And I'm glad that I get to preach it on this particular Sunday, which marks a very important anniversary. As Josh said, it was exactly 25 years ago this weekend that I first stood in this pulpit and got to preach the Word of God to this congregation. One quarter of a century ago. On March 15th, 1998, I got this email from Wallace Kephart. Yes, I printed it out and kept it. Careful sending me emails. It might get read, it might get saved and read in church 25 years later. It says this, Dear Matt, we have just completed our meeting with the pastoral search committee with Superintendent Leroy Glover. We would like to invite you and your lovely wife, Heather. That's a nice touch, Wally. My lovely wife, Heather. To come to Lance, Pennsylvania as a candidate for the senior pastor position in the Lance Evangelical Free Church. The suggested dates would be April 15th through the 22nd, which was also the weekend after Resurrection Sunday in 1998. I will be anticipating your call. May God richly bless you and Heather as we continue our pursuit of his will, walking with him, Wally. And so Heather and I accepted this invitation, and we drove our little blue Chevy Nova 11 hours from Zion, Illinois, across Indiana, and then across Ohio, and into Pennsylvania on Route 80 to Lance, Pennsylvania at exit 21, right? wasn't 133 back then, it was exit 21, and gas was $1.06 a gallon. And we came first to this location. Now, we didn't have a key, of course, but we peered in the windows over here to see what it was like for the first time. There was, of course, a big gravel parking lot all around the building, and there was no Ark Park. Those were still to come. But we could see the great big foyer and the classrooms and the possibilities. And then we went over to Blair and Ruth Murray's house for dinner. Those were the first people from Lance Free Church we met, and Ruth put out a spread. And then I began to spread from years, years after that. Then we got to stay with Wally and Nesta in their beautiful home and experience the warmest 
of hospitality. They were our hosts for the whole time. And they took us that weekend to Blue Knob, where Bruce and Donna Weatherly, do you remember the Weatherlys? Some of you do. The Weatherlys were the leaders of the youth group, and they were holding a youth retreat that weekend. So we got to meet the young people who are in their 40s now. And that same weekend, we got to go to State College and meet the awesome Allegheny District. Because that weekend was the same weekend as the district conference right over the mountain. You had to go through port to get over Skytop. There was no 99 back then. And we got to have dinner with the church chairman and his wife, George and Betty Leathers, at a place called Eat in Park. And I'm like, shouldn't you park before you eat? But it was good food. And then on Sunday, we came in those doors over there. And I met a bunch of you. One of you handed me this bulletin. Yes, I keep things. It was printed out by Ellen Smith back there. And inside it says, it was April 19th, it says, Welcome, Matt and Heather Mitchell. And we worshiped with you. And then you let me get up here and preach God's word. How many of you were here at this church in 1998? Raise your hands high. I won't make you stand. Everybody look around. Thank you. Thank you. Now all the rest of you, it's these people's fault, okay? (laughs) Seriously though, thank you for taking a risk on a rookie pastor like me. I was wet behind the ears. I'd probably preached fewer than 20 times at that point in my whole life. And you were letting me come up here and open God's Word. Anybody remember what book I preached from that day? I don't expect you to remember. Anybody remember? It was the prophecy of Habakkuk, chapter 3. You should have known what you were getting into when that was my candidating sermon. And then we had lunch together in what you called the Fellowship Hall, back this way and over there on the left. And then that evening we had a congregational meeting where Heather and I answered questions about our philosophy of ministry and how we would try to pastor you if we had the chance. And then we hung around a few more days. We got to meet with the board and with the Christian Ed Committee, one of the forerunners of our family ministries team. And a week later, you voted to extend a call to me to preach every Sunday, or nearly every Sunday, and to be your pastor, beginning in June of 1998. That was 25 years ago this weekend, and I am so grateful. And ever since that time, I've been trying to preach and to live out the truth of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to live a certain way because he lives. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love how Paul addresses this church. He calls them my dear brothers or my dear siblings. The Greek word there is adelphoi. It doesn't just mean male members of the church family. It means in this context both brothers and sisters. And Paul thinks of these people as his family. Church family. As Holly Crumrine said at our meeting a few weeks ago, family as church and church as family. But see, in verse 58, it's not just family, but what kind of family? Beloved family. My dear 
brothers. The Greek word there is agape toy. You hear the word love in there, agape? Agape toy, dearly beloved. Paul had a deep affection and care for these people. They were his people. You know the saying these days, find your people? Paul had found his people. And sometimes he was really frustrated with them, but he had found them. They were the Corinthians. He loved them dearly. And friends, that's how I feel about you. And Heather does too. You are our Adelphoi Agapetoi, our beloved siblings in Christ. Some of you will remember that in 2008, I preached a short series called The Ten Things. You remember The Ten Things? There were three sermons, ten things that I have learned in the first ten years, ten things I was trying to teach in the first ten years, and ten things I hope for in the next ten years. I just read those sermons again this week. They just came back at me. Oh, yeah. How many of you came to be a part of, those, of this church in those years from 1998 to 2008? Raise your hand if that's you. Raise them up high. Yeah. All my kids were born during that time, so you ought to raise your hands. That's right. We love you. You are a, our Adelphoi agape toy. Ten years later, I preached a special message to commemorate two decades of ministry together. How many of you came during that decade from, from uh, 2008 to 2018? Raise your hands. Yes, 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 yes. We love you too. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining and knitting yourself to this church family. We love you. You are our agapetoi adelphoi. Now it's been five more years. And those have been some difficult years. Not only did I somehow get to be old, I'm nearly 50 years old now. I was 25 when I came. I know some of you are like, 50, that's nothing. And others of you are like, 50 years old. But then we went through the COVID pandemic in the last five years. And so much has changed. How many of you came during the last five years to be a part of Lance Free Church from 2018 to now? Raise them up a high. Yeah. Yes. We're so glad you are here. Ron, we are so glad you're here. We love you. You are our Adelphoi Agape toy. If you haven't raised your hand yet, that was the time you're supposed to raise your hand. We love all of you. The hardest part about going on sabbatical in a couple of weeks is that we will miss you. You are our family. You are in our hearts. You are our people. I think it's clear that I need a rest. I probably have needed a rest since 2019. And I'm so grateful to you for granting it to us. But I need a rest from responsibility, not from relationship. We will miss being here for your sporting events. The birth of your children, Fenton's, Curlin's, we're sorry we're going to miss that. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Family Bible Week, and God forbid, any of your funerals. We love you. You are our Adelphoi Agapetoi, our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We feel about you as Paul felt about the Corinthians. And we want you to live like Paul wanted the Corinthians to live. Because Jesus lives. I think verse 58 can be summed up in three points. Here's number one. Because he lives, we stand firm. That's what he says, right? Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Some of your versions say, be immovable. Be a rock. Be that thing you can't push off. Stand. For, I think he means stand firm on the gospel. Right? He doesn't mean just be stubborn about whatever. He means be stubborn about the gospel. Stand firm on the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how he started this whole chapter, right? In verse 1 he said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. So don't abandon it. Don't stray from it. Don't, don't bail on it. Do you want to know what is the hardest thing, the hardest part of pastoring the same church for 25 years? It's seeing all the people who fall away. All the people who bail on the gospel. People I have baptized who are no longer living as Christians. People I have discipled who are no longer living as disciples. People who have not stood firm. It's hard when there's a conflict and somebody leaves the church. There have been several people over the last 25 years that have been disappointed with me or with the church and have moved on to another church. Sometimes that's been my fault because I have failed them and I've tried to do my part to make it good. But if they're following Jesus and just at another church, that's not so bad. That's okay. It, it hurts. It hard, it's hard. But it's okay. But those people who have not stood firm on the gospel... Those who have abandoned the gospel and walked away from Christ. Those are the ones that hurt the most. Especially when I see them at sheets or at a football game. I keep praying. I keep praying for them to repent and to walk with Christ again. But Paul tells the Corinthians to not drift away in the first place. Because Jesus is alive, you and I should stand firm on the gospel. I've said it a thousand times in the last quarter of a century. But the main thing is what? To keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of things have changed in the last 25 years. A lot of things have changed in the last five. But I hope that nothing truly important has changed because we are standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that's, that needs to be true, not just for all of us together, but for each one of us separately. Stand firm. Don't move. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. Be steadfast. 
Paul says that the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus is what saves us. You run off from that. Our sins are gone, 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 gone because of what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb and not by anything else. Let nothing move you from that truth. Christ has risen. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Number two, because He lives, we work hard. We work hard. Paul says he worked harder than anybody, but it wasn't him. It was the grace of God that was working in him. Here he says in verse 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. See, something else that we're not supposed to drift away from is ministry. We continue to serve. He says always and give yourselves and fully to the work of the Lord. It's a short verse, but he says so much. The Greek word translated fully in the NIV is a word that means overflowing. It's the root form of that word that I've illustrated before by pouring water all over the stage. How many times have I done that? Just did it last fall, didn't I? The King James says abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, pour yourself out in the work of the Lord. I've tried to do that for the last 25 years. But this verse isn't just for pastors or church leaders. It's for all of Paul's beloved brethren. It's for all of us. Each one of us is supposed to be pouring out our lives in service to the King. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Work hard. Work hard at ministry among this church family. Make this summer one of the best summers for ministry at Lance Free Church that there's ever been. Just a joyful time of ministry for, for all of us over the next several months. Just because I'm going away does not mean that this church should slow down. Quite the opposite. Because this church isn't about me. It's about serving the Lord. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. It's about always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Church family, throw yourself into the work of the Lord. In cleaning up our campus on the 22nd, George Leather says, Amen. Show up. In teaching in the children's church, Vicki Albert says, Amen. Show up. In being greeters, in fixing up the men's restroom, in serving coffee or a meal, in leading the devotions at the ladies' fellowship hour, what a great thing that has become. In starting up a new link group, in praying with someone in a prayer corner or over the back of a pew or, or teaching a class or going visiting or whatever this church family needs. The elders are going to pour themselves out for you too. Pray for them as they give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. Heather and I will continue to do the work of the Lord as well, even when we are on sabbatical. We won't be working vocationally. We'll be vacationing. Our work will be rest, recharging to come back and work hard here some more. But we will still look for ways to serve the Lord wherever we're visiting in Great Britain just like the retired people in our church family serve the Lord, even if you aren't working full-time. But the work of the Lord is not just serving the church, is it? There's also doing our jobs as worship too, right? So that Andrew and Benjamin are called to do their work as unto the Lord this summer. 
taking pictures for Jesus' sake, fighting forest fires for the glory of Jesus' name. We need to stand firm on the gospel and work hard in the name of the Lord. Because Jesus lives, we should serve him unceasingly. We don't take a sabbatical from serving Jesus. In what ways are you tempted to stop giving yourselves to the work of the Lord? You know yourself. Where are you tempted to be like, well, let somebody else do it. Well, just, it'll coast. It'll happen. Where are you tempted to run away from ministry instead of running towards it? I've said it before and I'll say it again. We have the best church for faithful servants. Some people, some churches have an 80-20 rule where 80% of the ministry gets done by 20% of the people. That's not how it is here. We have 80% of our people active in ministry. It looks different for different people at different times. We don't judge each other about which ones you do and which ones you don't. But we do spur each other on to love and good deeds. Don't quit. I know it's tempting to quit. I know. Because it often feels futile, doesn't it? Stuff you do, and then, what was that all about? No progress. I'll actually, be Like that guy Sisyphus from the ancient mythology, you know the one I'm talking about? The guy who was cursed by the gods and had to roll that boulder up the hill every day, and then the boulder rolled down the mountain again, and the next day his job was roll the boulder up the mountain, and then roll the boulder back and down. Every single, do you feel like that? Life is hard and then you die. What's the point? Jesus is the point. And Jesus is alive. And that makes all the difference. You see Paul's logic here? Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's number three and last point this morning. Because he lives... We can't lose. We can't lose. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What's the worst thing that someone can do to you? Kill you, right? So you do all this work for Jesus, and then you die. But Jesus has come back from the dead and promises to bring you back from the dead as well. That's what Paul meant by all that stuff I read about first fruits. You like fruits. What, what's that all about? Jesus, he says, is the first fruits from the dead, meaning the early harvest that shows what the later harvest will be like. Because he lives forever, we will live forever. And that means we can't lose. We can't lose. Paul says that you know you can't lose. You see that word no? You know your work is not meaningless, it's meaningful. You know that it is worth it. Everything we do for Jesus is worth it because he lives. Spoiler alert. We know the ending to the story we are living in. We win. We're winners. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ron, you are a winner because Jesus has risen from the dead even though we lose our lives, we will get them again. And everything you do right now as you minister to your family, 
as you care for them, all of that is not in vain because Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. That means that you and I can literally die doing ministry and nothing can stop us from seeing the return on our investment. Paul could and will die doing ministry and it didn't face him one bit. You need to hear that this morning? Nothing can stop you from seeing the return on your investment as you faithfully serve the Lord Jesus with your life. We can't lose. We can't lose. Now that only applies to our work done in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, then you yourself will not have a blessed resurrection. Your work, your strivings will achieve nothing more than whatever you can grasp in this life. That's why Paul says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Party hardy, because there is no tomorrow. If you're outside of the Lord. If you are outside of the Lord, I fear for you. And I invite you to come in by faith to his salvation and his service. Put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross and at the empty tomb. And even for Christians. The things we do that are not of or for the Lord are spurious at best and sinful at worst. We need to be asking ourselves constantly about everything we do. Why are we doing this? Do we do it to the glory of God? The missionary statesman C.T. Studd wrote a little poem that has been quoted many times in the last hundred years. Perhaps you can finish it for me. It says this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He, of course, means only one short life in this fallen world. Because there's a second life coming in the resurrection. And what we do now with this one will reverberate into eternity. What we do now for Christ will last. What we've been doing together the last 25 years, I die today, it lasts for eternity. You die today, it lasts for eternity. We stand firm and steadfast on the main thing. We work hard and pour ourselves out for the Lord because we can't lose. Because He lives. Amen.